Hey everyone, uh, Jason Klein here. I'm the senior minister here at Refocus Christian Church, uh, located in Fallonsby, West Virginia. I just want to say uh, thank you so much for listening to our content. Uh, feel free to share or like or leave any comments you have. Uh, we're always looking to engage with people. Uh, what are some questions you have? What are some things that you might be learning? Uh, and at the same time, if you want to know more about us, check us out at refocuschurch.com, uh, which also has a link to our Facebook there. Uh, and so it just has uh, upcoming events, things that are going on, uh, sermon series that we're in. Uh, so once again, thanks for being a part of this. Thank you for listening in. And as always, please feel free to share and comment or like, because uh, we want to make sure that we're trying to reach as many people possible uh, with the good news of Jesus Christ. All right. Have a great day. Good morning. Oh, man. I am hot. How's everyone doing? You guys awake? Need some coffee? It's funny. I, uh, my brother, <clears throat> so we lived in Columbus for about nine years. So uh, where we used to live, um, I think there was like four Starbucks within like five minutes of our house. So there's like a bunch of stuff. And I remember my older brother called me a couple of years ago, and he's like, guess what? I'm like, what? He's like, we're getting a Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> I was like, what? He's like, in Steubenville, they're putting a Dunkin' Donuts. And I'm like, yeah, okay. He's like, no, you don't understand. There's like not a lot of good coffee places around here. Like, there's Dunkin' Donuts. I'm like, all right, like, that's fine. And so I moved here. And I think I hit Dunkin' Donuts up at least twice a week. <laughs> this one or this one or the one in Weirton. Uh, just because I've come to like, I like their cold brew, but that's that's me. Well, good morning, everyone. Hope everyone's doing well. Uh, what a, a wonderful uh, last weekend was amazing. Had a blast at the church picnic. Um, if you missed it, really bummed you did. I hope to see you next year. Uh, I think the the water slide was probably the biggest hit. Uh, I think Kayla Conley had shared a picture of me trying to adjust the hose at the top, and I was just, like, drenched. At some point, you know, you just have to accept that this is life. And it's all right. Uh, and so we're actually, uh, we're going to take uh, a break. We're going to do, like, a kind of a one-off sermon, and then I won't be here next Sunday. A friend of mine is coming in to town. His name's Jeff Lees. He's going to be preaching. Um, and then it's funny when you see him. He looks a lot like Rob. <laughs> Whenever I first met Rob, I was like, you look like my friend Jeff. And so he's going to be preaching on David and Goliath, and then we're actually going to jump into a series called Rhythms. And it's all about life and uh, kind of the rhythms that we should fall into. And so I, I found it interesting that one of the things that over the last couple months, uh, when you have a lot going on in life, you know, I, we moved kids are getting ready to start school. 
Uh, Griffin just turned four. Uh, my, old, my youngest is turning one, and Everett's going to be seven, although you would think he's a teenager at this point with how he is. But the life is just, it does not slow down whatsoever. Um, my uh, Danny is currently up in Columbus with her mom getting her house ready because her mom's about to sell her house and buy my grandmother's house. So once again, life just does not slow down. So it's really easy as life gets busy. We really like to distract ourselves. This culture, uh, today's culture, loves distractions. Even now, I have my phone in my pocket, and it's already vibrated four times since I've been up here. So either someone's texting me, which is probably the case, or anyone who plays Pokemon Go, I'm probably getting a few texts from there. Uh, me and my oldest play it sometimes together. But, but life is just full of distractions. It, there's so much going on. And a lot of times we just we like to add more and more and more and more and more to our plate. We're convinced as a society that in order to be productive, we have to be busy. And I, I don't always think that's true. I think a lot of times distractions, good and bad things, can get in the way of, of what the real purpose of why we're here so the sermon this morning is called Be Present. And that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at some of the things in life that distracts us and why it's important a lot of times to kind of refocus and hone ourselves back in. Now, before we get started, let's pray. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the fact that you love us the way that you do. I pray that you just continue to allow us to stay focused on you. God, allow us to stay focused on what you've asked us to do. I pray, as always, that you protect those who are listening, uh, those who hear the word that as they come out of my mouth. God, that they're protected and they hear what they need to hear and that <clears throat> the conviction that your spirit brings is what they're, they're listening to. Protect them from uh, my own pride, even getting away sometimes, and, and make sure that we're focused on you and your word and what it can teach us. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you do. In your son, let me pray. Amen. The idea of, of being present. Like I said, we live in a world today where there's just so many distractions. There's so many things to do. There's so many things, you know, fighting for our attention. Now, I'm aware of it now, probably more than I was after I had kids. The amount of kid shows that exist. Mind you, I'm not saying good kid shows. The amount of entertainment for kids that exists is astronomical at this point. I mean, it, there's so much of it. Uh, I remember uh, Danny and I, we finally like got rid of cable. It's like, ah, we don't want cable. And then we have like eight subscription services. <laughs> I mean, so just there's always a way to kind of fill the void. There's, there's always something else. And Jesus was not unaware of this. He was someone who was incredibly intentional, incredibly focused on what he did. I, I think one of the, the things I always find interesting when you read the Gospels is Jesus sometimes didn't do things in order to do other things. He, he understood. He had a very clear focus, and he knew that he had three years of active ministry to accomplish what he needed to get done. So 
So a lot of times he would move on from one thing to the next, and he would ignore people, and not that he didn't love people, but he was very intentional for what he did. So it's no surprise then that we find him in one of the parables that he teaches. Uh, he's actually talking about distractions. So Matthew 13, 1 through 23. <clears throat> We're actually going to read uh, 1 through 8, or 1 through 9 at the moment. So this is the parable of the sower. So that same day Jesus went out of the house, and he sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered around him, so that he got into a boat and he sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he had told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And then other seeds fell on good soil, produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus was, was incredible. It's teaching through story, relatable stories. We, today's world, we would call them illustrations. He, he was able to take something that was common of the day and use it and repurpose it to, to spread a message about the gospel. And a lot of times he did this in such a way that it was, if you, if you were really paying attention, you understood what he was saying. And a lot of times he would do this in front of the Pharisees because well, they were self-righteous and they were just looking for you know, ways to kind of trap him. So they really weren't paying attention. Even his own disciples sometimes struggled with his parables. So he's talking about sowing the seed. and In this case, he's talking about the message of the gospel, uh, the message of who he is, who his father is, uh, the sacrifice that was coming. And he's using the analogy of farming. And so he's talking to this culture that is a lot of farmers. And if you ever do any kind of research in the area, um, doing crops or planting crops around where Jesus lived was incredibly difficult. It wasn't super flat, and if it was, it was rocky soil at best. So it was very difficult. I remember, was it last week when I was putting up signs for the picnic? Uh, I made the mistake of thinking that I was just going to drive along the road and find some gra like grassy area to shove a sign down in. And every single one of them, wherever I put the sign, was like solid rock. Like there was like this much grass and like that much rock. And I was like, I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> like I don't have a hammer, right, to make this work. But I did, and, and we figured it out. So the, the farmers at the time were very, they were used to that kind of soil. And, and so it's interesting because as Jesus tells of this parable, he talks about how the seeds, you know, the first three don't make it. The first ones don't make it at all. They don't even get any kind of root. They get destroyed along the path. The second ones, they, they spring up really quick, but they have no actual foundation, so they, they wither. The third ones, the, they, they take root, but as they grow up and they mature, they grow up among thorns, and it chokes them out. And he says the last one, the, the last ones on good soil, they produce a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. Now, it's interesting because at the time, 
to produce a crop that was a hundredfold would have been incredible. I'm not a farmer, but I can imagine that any farmer who could produce that kind of crop would have no problem finding a good life for themselves. So that audience at the time, when they hear this hundredfold, all of a sudden they kind of lean in and they're like, hmm, a hundredfold, you say? Well, that sounds great. So Jesus, he goes on, and he keeps explaining to the people who are there, his disciples, because they ask him. So we'll jump down to verse 18. It said, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away and has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. He has no root in himself, but he endures for a while. When tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, and another sixty, another thirty. We're, we're going to be talking primarily about the, the third round of seeds this morning. The seeds get sown, they spring up, and all of a sudden, distraction sets in. In this case, Jesus is talking about the wealth or things of this world. They get in the way of, of the fruit that this seed could produce. They, they take away, you know, the person hears the gospel, they're doing amazing things, and all of a sudden, life sets in. Tragedies happen, job change, houses are being sold, houses are being bought, people's family, uh, people pass away, you know, Babies are born. These, you notice some of these things are good and bad, right? And they're not all bad, obviously. But, but sometimes the things of life that, that we don't necessarily consider a distraction can actually distract us from the very purpose and, and our purpose and what we're supposed to do. Distraction is... One of Satan's greatest tools. I would, I would make that argument. That that is what he loves to do. If, if he can take something good in your life, and he can turn it around, and he can get your focus off of it, he does it. If, if he can take something good in your life, and, and if he can make you love that thing more than you love God, He'll do it. If, if he can take something bad in your life and make you question the very existence of God, he will do it. Distraction is his greatest tool. He loves to, to, to cause that kind of frustration. And it's so easy for you and I to do that. Danny and I were... My wife were talking about this the other day. You know, life is really weird because, like, you know, you have, like, these amazing 
mountains that you're sitting on top of and then like the next day you end up in this like weird valley and you have no idea and it kind of ends up being this kind of up and down and and that's pretty normal for anyone but what what's interesting is and I and I'm guilty of this is a lot of times when I'm in that valley and I am really quick to forget how good that mountain was when God has showed up and everything has fallen into place and life is going just as peachy keen as it can, my, uh, my middle child, uh, Griffin, uh, says, easy peasy lemon squeezy. Anytime anything's easy. Well, when life is going really good and, and you're riding that kind of like, man, this is amazing, God's doing amazing things, and then all of a sudden you hit that storm, it's really easy to forget that the God who's on top of the mountain is the same God that's in the valley. He hasn't changed. He, he hasn't shifted his position. He didn't just wake up and wash his hands and say, I'm done with you. But what Satan does is he tries to convince you that God has ignored you, that the God that, that had you up here threw you down into this valley and just left you standing there all by yourself. And it's not just you and I who have that problem. Israel had the same problem. Go to Numbers 13, 26 through 32. Israel is traveling with Moses, and this is way back after God has set them free from the Egyptians. They made it through the wilderness. Israel has overcome incredible odds just by their sheer existence. And so all of a sudden, they, they're standing outside what is their promised land. And God has told them, he's been preparing them for what's coming. And, and, and they, they have seen everything God has done. So they go in and they send in some spies, 12 to be exact, into this land, just to, just to see what's coming. And this is their report. It said, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. And here's its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we certainly can do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report that the land they had explored, they said, the land was, uh, we explored devours those living in it. And all the people saw uh, there are of great size. Distractions can make you forget what God has already done. The, these men, they, they go into this land that, that God has, has promised them. And you notice in, in those couple verses, they mention two things. It is flowing of milk and honey. And then everything after that is all the bad things that they saw. They're too big. The cities are fortified. There's no way we could take them. 
I mean, there's just us. Who are we? Like we know, we know what God has said, but but you don't understand what we saw. We we saw people that were much larger than we are. They're giants. And out of the group, there's a man by the name of Caleb says, "No, no, no. Let's let's go take the land that God has promised us." And the rest of them turned on him. And they convinced the entire nation of Israel that what God had promised them, they were not going to be able to accomplish. So much so that, that later on uh, in the narrative, they, they try to kill the Joshua and Caleb, who, who were the ones who were positive they could do it. So they turned the entire nation of it. They, they got distracted. They, they forgot how God had delivered them from Egypt. They forgot how God had, had delivered them through the Red Sea and through the wilderness and, and his provision and his power and his protection, all because they saw something they didn't understand and they let it get in the way. That's what distraction does. That's how, that's how Satan works. One bad thing, he will take it and he will convince you there is no God. Life seems insurmountable. That, that's where Satan loves to keep us, to, to have us beaten down and broken and, and feeling like there's no way that the God we love and serve could ever deliver us from this. And, but all throughout Israel's history was story after story after story after story of just how faithful God was. They allowed themselves to be distracted by men, armies, cities. They, they missed an opportunity to, to take what was given to them because they lost faith in who God was. That's what, that's what distraction does to us. The God that that can heal the masses, the God that can provide for the thousands, the same Jesus who died and resurrected from the grave is still the same. But sometimes when things happen and life happens, we, I don't know, it's like we forget almost that he is who he is because we get so focused tough. Distraction will make you forget who God is every time. It's dangerous. Distraction can also create division. I've seen it a lot of times in churches and jobs. Sometimes we get kind of focused on our own our own little bubble, right? The the early disciples were were not, you know, uh, they didn't avoid this. Uh, so if you go to Luke Luke nine forty six through forty eight, so this is Jesus and this is the disciples talking. 
So an argument arose among them to which one of them was the greatest. Can you imagine that? Like standing in front of Jesus and be like, hey, who you think's better? Me or Paul? <laughs> me or Peter? Me or John? Me or Matt? So they, they wanted to know who was the greatest. And, and Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side. And he said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you uh, is, all, is the one who is great. Paul, Paul deals with this in uh, writing to the Corinth church in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 10 through 17. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no division among you, but that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you, except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and elegance, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Distraction can cause quarrels inside the church. I'm convinced as we move forward, as this church continues to move forward, as we continue to fulfill what God is calling us to do in this community uh, and abroad, as we continue to be a light to the culture, as we continue to bring people to the knowledge of Jesus, Satan is going to try to distract us. He is going to create division because that's what he wants to do. He, he's going to have things that happen in your life and my life that are going to distract us from the God that we serve because that is what he does. I had a good friend of mine tell me one time that if your feet hitting the floor first thing in the morning doesn't put hell in a turmoil, you should probably go back to bed. Because when we are moving and doing what we are supposed to be doing, when, when we are sharing the message of the gospel, the one thing Satan wants to do is to stop that. And the greatest way he does that is by distracting us. By causing division, by causing arguments, by causing strife. We, we, when we start to, you know, we, we know we're supposed to love people and see them and, and be like Jesus and, and they say something to us and it's just like, sticks to us and and for the rest of whatever their life we see them that way because we can never get past it where we allow our, our view of them to change satan has distracted you because instead of seeing them as a son and daughter of god who are growing and maturing in their faith you now see them as an enemy by the way a notch in his belt because that is what he wants to do when the church is, is moving forward and, and we decide to, to move a certain direction and we believe with everything in us that, that we're moving in the way that God wants us to go, 
then all of a sudden there's this split because not everyone agrees. It's a distraction. It is what he will do every single time. Be ready for that. I'm not saying we don't work together and we don't come to a conclusion and we have to, you know, we have to be in agreement, but, but when we make decisions, that division, that kind of mentality, that distraction can stop a church in its midst. I've seen it happen. I've seen churches who are pushing six, 700 people make one decision to split the church in half and now both are dead because people couldn't get over whatever their view was, whatever their opinion was, whatever their idea was, because instead of us seeing as, hey, you know what? You think different than me. That's okay. It doesn't mean we can't work together. It doesn't mean we can't do ministry together. It just means we have different views. Instead of, of coming to that understanding, that agreement, he automatically convinces you that that other person is now your enemy. That is what he will do every single time. Because a church that is divided cannot stand. It will not work. Jesus understood that. Paul understood that. Satan understands it, and he uses it. There's a book that I read a couple years ago called The Screwtape Letters. Uh, It's written by C.S. Lewis, who I would consider a modern-day theologian, scholar. And C.S. Lewis is writing this book uh, from the perspective of, uh, in a, call an apprentice for lack of a better word, uh, there's a, a demon, a head demon in this book by the name of Screwtape, and he is training his protege, wor- Wormwood. It's his, it's Wormwood would, what is it? So Screwtape would be his uncle. So he is, he's teaching him. He, He's teaching him how to be manipulative, how to lie, how to, how to deceive people. And C.S. Lewis does an amazing job of, uh, of, of writing from that perspective. I would encourage you to read it because I do think it's a good read. However, I will also encourage you to pray through it as well because it, it can mess with your head if you're not paying attention. Because C.S. Lewis captures the deception of, of the enemy, our enemy, incredibly well. And so there's two quotes from, from that book that I've always found to be quite fascinating. And so mind you, this is from the perspective of a demon telling another demon in training how to get in the way of people in this world. It says, there's nothing like suspense and anxiety for barricading a human's mind against the enemy. The enemy, in this case, they see as God. He wants men to be concerned with what they do, our business to keep them thinking about what will happen to them. The second quote is, it is funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. And and like I said, the, the whole premise of the book is is really designed to kind of take that look at how does the enemy deceive us. And a lot of times it's, it's really subtle. Listen, I don't, I don't want to give Satan any more credit. I know how it ends for him. He's not going to win. 
at the end of this life, he loses. I don't know if he's aware of that, but I would like to think that he is. He's a coward. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. But he's crafty. He doesn't. He hardly ever attacks us with like a full-on frontal assault because most of us would be ready for that. So what he does is he, he creeps in. That first time you slip into temptation, and then again and again, and it just gets easier every time. That, that, that first time that, that you come across a situation in your life and you feel like it's overwhelming and you, and you just can't overcome it, and then he convinces you that, that there is no God. You, you know why most people in this world, I, I think, have turned their back on God? It's because I think Satan has done a horrible but incredible job of convincing the world that God doesn't exist. People feel hopeless and helpless and overrun, and they turn to drugs, alcohol, and sex, and, and everything, anything to fill a void. Because Satan has convinced them that those things will satisfy them, and they don't. They just leave you longing for more. They're a distraction from the one thing that could satisfy you completely. You know how Satan kills churches? He convinces me that my church is better than your church. He convinces me that my theology has to be better than your theology, and well, you're wrong, so you're going to hell immediately. He, he causes division and strife and frustration and anger. And, and listen, there are a hundred... I did a demographics research a couple years ago. In this area, within 30 minutes, there's somewhere like 127 churches. 127 churches. And there's still thousands of people in this area that don't know Jesus. Something's wrong. And it's because the, the world looks at us and sees how divided we are, and they don't want any part of it. Why would I come there? You can't even get along. Because that is what Satan does every single time. He divides us and he distracts us. Because here's the thing. At the end of the day, your only enemy is him. It's not your neighbor. It's not your cousin. It's not your mom. It's not your dad. It's not your brother. It's not your friend. The only person that you have to watch out for is him. Because he will drag you to hell and not give a single iota about it. Because that is what he does. That is how he does everything. And if he can convince you long enough to pay attention to someone else's sins, then it distracts you from who you are and what you should be doing. Distraction and division is his greatest strategy and I hate to say it, but sometimes it looks like it's working. Distractions can make you miss what God is doing in your life. A lot of us think that we can multitask. There's a, a considerable amount of research that has been done le uh, lately, psychologically, says we know several really well-conducted studies into human psychology and brain science that we don't actually multitask. 
Not in the sense that we're doing two activities at the same time with sufficient focus. Instead, human brain task switches constantly between the two different demands vying for its attention. And it doesn't switch all that well. Think of task switching as less like a multitasking and more like juggling. You have a couple different balls in the air, which you're only ever really touching one at a time. You're catching and releasing quickly and hopefully paying just enough attention to the other balls as they're coming down. You can swoop in and catch a new one just after releasing the prior. Distraction, multitasking, call it what you will. You and I have, have one major purpose in this life as followers of Christ. And that is to build his church and to build his kingdom. Not your kingdom. Jesus is not as, not that he doesn't love you, not that he doesn't care about you, but he's not trying to, to build your kingdom, he's trying to use you to build his But we get distracted. Life gets hard. We chase money. We chase cars. We chase relationships. I was doing it. Before coming back this way, I was uh, in a job that I wasn't bad at. Working in a warehouse, working for a candle company, making decent money. I was climbing the ladder of success. Probably could have you know, had enough money at some point to buy a Corvette. I don't know why I would, because I can't actually fit in a Corvette. But I've tried. It doesn't work. But I, I was. I, I was I was pursuing life, and things were going along well, and, and not they, were, they weren't bad things. I, I wasn't doing anything wrong. And I remember that I, I came home one day, and uh, I just wasn't having a good day. And my wife, who is incredibly wise, because she always says stuff to me when I need to hear it, but I don't want to hear it. She says to me, she's like, you're not happy. I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> like, obviously I'm not. She's like, no, no. She's like, you don't understand. Like, you, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. I was like, yeah. I don't think you're wrong. It's so easy to to pursue things and, and just try to you one-up and, and get to the next level. And, and those things, even those good things, can distract us from the purpose of why we're here. Your goal in this life should be to bring as many people to heaven with you as you can, to bring as many people into the kingdom of God as you possibly can. To share your faith as much as you possibly can. That is what you and I are called to do. Sometimes we do that through our finances and we're blessed and some people have lots of money and that's great. Some people have nothing. That's okay too. But the purpose, the thing that drives us should continue to be this idea of how do we bring people to Jesus? I think I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I'm not here to build a church. 
in the, the physical sense. I'm here to build the kingdom. I, I want to see people here, not because I want to say, look how many people we have, but because I want to know that there are so many people that are going to someday spend eternity with Jesus that we don't have enough room for them, and we need more room for the next run of people. I want people to, to be serving and changing their lives. I want to see marriages restored. I want to see children come to faith. I, I want to see people healed of sickness. I, I want to see people overcome obstacles. I want to see Jesus move in such a way that we can't possibly fit the amount of people that he's bringing into, into our life because we have decided and we are faithful with what he is giving us and we are loving people and we're bringing them to Jesus and we're teaching them the gospel and we are discipling them and then we're asking them to do it again. That's what I want to see. At the end of my life, I do not care how much money is in my bank account. I want to know that everyone I touched met Jesus. When I die, I want to stand in front of Almighty God and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Not because of how big my house is or how nice my car is, but because of the line of people that are following behind me because I shared my faith. And when you live that way, Satan will try to distract you every single time because that's the last thing that he wants. He wants to go to hell with his little pity party and take as many people with him as he can, and I refuse to let that happen. It starts in my home, goes to my job. It starts in my kid's school. It transfers over to how I live my life, what I do, what I say, everything. Because people need to know who Jesus is. Without Jesus, there is no hope. Without Jesus, addiction will continue to, to overrun in people's lives. Without Jesus, everything else is useless. The kingdom of God is bigger than you and me. And if you love the people around you enough, if you really truly love them like you should, then there is no excuse that you can ever make that will justify not sharing your faith with them. Because if not you, then who? If not you, then who? Who are you relying on? What if you were brought into their life solely to give them the knowledge of Christ. I believe God has amazing things in store for where we're headed. I don't see it at all. I haven't seen it at all. I don't have like dreams or anything like that, but, but I believe God has, has given me a very clear vision of this area. 14 years ago, when I first got into ministry, I believed that something was happening in the tri-state area. And man, I wanted to be part of it. And I, I really believe that God had, had me in this area. I grew up here. I grew up in Sunville. I, I love the people in this area. This is my hometown. And, and I was thrilled. And I had this incredible opportunity. And then things went weird. And we moved to Columbus. And I love Columbus. Don't get me wrong. It was a great time. But, but all those years, I kept thinking, God, was I wrong? Because <laughs> I really thought you had me here in, in, in this area to do things, big things for you. And then I moved away. 
And then last year, I realized that moving away was preparing me for what he had me to do next, which was coming back. And I believe that he brought me back for a reason. I believe this church is going to make an impact in this world. I I believe that we're going to start seeing people come to know Jesus. I, I believe we're going to start taking back the culture from drugs and taking back society, and we're going to start winning souls, and we're going to start building the kingdom. And I believe it's going to start here in Fondue, West Virginia, in a church that people probably don't even know where it is. I don't care. <laughs> because you have to start somewhere, and I believe it starts now. And I believe you are here for that purpose And you and I together are going to build the kingdom of God. And when we die, when I stand in eternity, the people who follow behind us are going to be incredible. So be ready for that. But be ready for the distractions too. Because when you start moving and you start following Jesus and you start loving people and you start changing lives, Satan's going to creep in. He's going to try to manipulate you and lie to you and convince you that that's all wrong. He's going to try to divide us. He's going to try to get in the way of progress. He's going to do everything he can and throw everything at us. And all I can say is bring it on. Because I know who he is and I know that he loses. And I know that he doesn't stand a chance against the creator of the universe. So when he brings distraction. Remind yourself of the God you serve. Remind yourself of who he is, what he's done, and what he continues to do. This world, man, they need us now more than ever. Let's pray. God, we... Hey everyone, thanks so much for checking out this week's podcast. Hey, if you want to learn more about our church, check us out at refocuschurch.com or look us up on Facebook at Refocus Christian Church. We're located in Fallenby, West Virginia. Uh, we'd love to have you and your family out. Come check out and see what God is doing on our people, in our community, in our church. All right, later.